Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Thursday, January 18th, 2024. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's choosing to join us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet, And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of that infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of those things soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively engage the use of these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we appreciate you doing so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number on your phone, if you press the number 1, It'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I will then turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code, and we can have a conversation. And we also appreciate whenever anybody chooses to do that because it just makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work 
the intention we have with this work is to be a service, and that's just so much easier to do when we know how these things are landing for you. How is it benefiting you when we read through the Way of Mastery with commentary or we hold discussion or we have people step through worksheet processes? It's just, it's what we hope to be able to do to maximize the benefit that we're able to provide for you as we work to be of service. Tonight is a Thursday night, so there will be a support group. And the support group runs from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time, and all the information you would need to know to join us is available on the MindShiftersAcademy.org webpage. And it's absolutely free. It's through Zoom, 6.30 to 9 p.m. Central Time. Extend the invitation to anybody listening. And we request that you also forward that information to anybody else that you think might find that support group of value in their lives. Yesterday, as we were working on things, we read the last section of Lesson 6 in the Way of Mastery. That lesson is titled, Love Heals All Things. And as always, it's at the end of a a lesson like that, it's a good time to take comments or questions or suggestions. I think... um, I'll mention that uh, today they published the second um, the second half of the interview with Laura McGowan on the We Can Do Hard Things podcast. And I can recommend that to people just at, at any level of your own personal growth whether you struggle with any what you would consider as an addictive uh, substance or not, whether you have alcoholism or any other kind of addictive problem or not, it's still a really good series of nine things she talks about in in her second book, which was titled Push Off From Here. And there are a list of nine things in that book that she built the book around that were the things that she most needed to hear as she was recovering from her drug of choice and trying to build a vibrant, healthy life, not just stay focused on um, you know, staying away from her drug of choice. And I won't go through those right now, but they're available on the we Can Do Hard Things podcast, and the most recent episode is again with Laura McGowan. And I highly recommend both of her books, and times like this one, she's doing an interview with people that she's just 
wide open and honest and intelligent and so just another resource that's available and I feel you know honored to uh, be able to share those resources with you and to have also there are two interviews that she did with me for the On Your Mind podcast that are available and I'm not sure if they've both aired on this Mind Shifters radio show I think Jeannie said the last time we tried to do it we tried to post both episodes both different interviews and the same one was played twice and I don't remember what she said about which one that was that was when we were having quite a bit of difficulty with the blog talk radio technology and it was over the holiday when I was away so so again 563-999-3581 is our call in number please feel free to call in even if I'm reading something or seem to be in the middle of a monologue um I know that Michael is working through the the concepts, laying a foundation to start reading from the Enlightenment book, which is a book that summarizes what they've published so far from the translation work that was done from the ancient Aramaic transcripts, the... Uh, Boris Manuscript, area code 618, you're in the air. Hey, Dr. Tim, good morning. This is Gail. Hello. Um, I was giving a call or put my hand up um, to make some comments about um, the show on Monday when you were talking about Glennon Doyle's process of, um, you know, the writing that she did uh, um, based on what Elizabeth Gilbert that interview with Elizabeth Gilbert. And now um, I'm thrilled to see that Laura McGowan and Glennon Doyle have gotten together because they have very similar backgrounds um, with addiction and starting in the 12-step model or 12-step movement, you know, by going to Alcoholics Anonymous and then – for whatever reason in their life, COVID, having children, um, being stuck at home, not able to attend meetings, that they were able um, to find another avenue. Um, So I was hoping they'd get together, and that's awesome that they did. Um, Being a member of a 12-step group as well, I I, um, wanted to give some background on the writing process that Glennon was participating in and and where that comes from from the twelve step aspect and um kind of combine some things to together with that um, I'm also thrilled that um, about the background or about the backups being posted the the backups being posted on Podbean for mind shifters. Um, for me, if I miss a show, it's a lot easier to go to Podbean 
um, than it is to try to hunt it down on MindShifters Academy or Why Is This Happening to Me Again um, website. So that that was awesome. In the process of of getting hooked up with Podbean, I also found um, we could do hard things, and you introduced us to that um, via your show, but you also introduced uh, the um, the Thursday support group to a couple of their um, podcasts as well. So I was able to find them, and um, it's going to be easier to catch up. Um, they're on, like, episode 276 right now, something like that. So it's going to take maybe listening to one a day to catch up, but I started at the very beginning to – to get some background on, um, you know, who they are um, and where they're coming from and why they're doing the podcast that they're doing now. And it's been a pretty amazing um, to listen to them and have the similarities. Um, anyway, back to Glennon and, and Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, one of the things um, before the 12-step movement came into being, in 1935, there was a group called the Oxford Group. And um, what they wanted to do was practice first century Christianity. And one of, the, one of the things that they did, they had six tenants. And those six tenants became the steps later. Um, so the, the tenants were surrender, which is our step three, um, inventory, which is our step four, Confession, which is our step five. Restitution, which would be our steps eight and nine. And, and then prayer and meditation, which would be our step 11. And then um, step 12, um, or the last one is helping others or to carry the message to other people. One of the exercises that, that they did in the Oxford group was called two-way prayer. And... Um, and a lot of the two-way prayer exercises basically um, became non-existent, and then it started to resurface. And the two-way prayer is writing down a question to God, saying something like, my heavenly father, you know, blah, 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 ask a question, get quiet, get into meditation, and then address ourselves like, oh, my precious child, and then start writing. Um, and it sounds like that's what Elizabeth Gilbert was doing and 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 Glennon Doyle were doing as well. And so during COVID, this started to come back up or started to resurface. So this this two-way prayer or um, the tenet of prayer and meditation or the or the step of continued um, to seek the uh, I can't even remember the 11 step, but it's a part of the 11 step prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood God, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. So during COVID and and Alcoholics Anonymous and other 12-step groups made this amazing pivot um, when we couldn't go to the hospitals or the church basements to meet anymore um, because of government restrictions, they pivoted very well onto Zoom. 
and that just opened everything up. And so one of the things that I learned um, that there's two resources on this two-way prayer. Um, one is a guy named Father Bill, who is a, a minister. He's out of Austin, Texas, and he does monthly seminars on Zoom about the history of two-way prayer and how to do it. Um, and, of course, I started listening to that in 2020 um, and started doing it myself. And then um, the other resource is a book called How to Listen to God. And it's by a 12-step group member named Wally P. And he um, ran into a gentleman named James who actually knew one of the co-founders named Bill Wilson. Um, and actually, he knew Bill Wilson when they were in the Oxford groups together. And um, with further investigation, what they ended up finding in a museum back in the storage um, is uh, Dr. Dr. Bob Smith's wife, her name was um, Anne, she had crates and crates and crates and boxes of her two-way prayers and, and different notebooks. And so um, that that was just something that they practiced. And, and like I said, I started practicing that as well. I would say like the beginning of 2021, I started to practice that. And then I combined it with an exercise um, called morning pages that comes out of the book, The Artist's Way, who, and that book was written by a, a woman named Julia Cannon who got sober in 1978. And she started using the 12 steps to get rid of artist block um, because she's a writer. And um, but by using the creator and channeling the creator um, to become creative and to get rid of um, artist block. So I, I take the, the morning pages and combine it with the two-way prayer or the letters to God. And so I just wanted to share that. And, and thank you for sharing that interview. Um, just to give a little bit more background or a little bit, I, I don't know where Elizabeth Gilbert got it. You know, I don't know if she got it. Um, from a 12-step group or if she just got it automatically from someplace else and then for Glennon to actually start to do it with the background that this particular exercise has is, is pretty cool. So I just wanted to share that. Excellent. Thank you. And thanks for the, the resources of the titles you mentioned that other people can look into if they're so inclined. Yeah, it's... Um, Absolutely. It's absolutely powerful to pretend that you have access to a, a deeper knowledge because all these deep spiritual teachings tell us you do have that. There's ancient wisdom that says, ask and you shall receive. Knock and it absolutely. shall be opened. And that doesn't just mean, you know, bring me some ice cream. It means... <laughs> this internal wisdom, this access to a guidance system, is 
is known through a lot of deep spiritual traditions and the price for access to that wisdom is simply that you ask and it's a real powerful way to ask to sit down and let that wisdom write you a letter it's so thank you for that to- yeah, absolutely. It, it's a way to really tap into the subconscious and unconscious by writing. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. Well, anything else we can support you in today? I think that's. I think that's all I had. I've been meaning um, to hit one and and to share those things, and hopefully, other people will look up, you know, the other books to see how to do this and and go from there and yeah I, I i still need to listen to those podcasts um i don't know if i'm going to skip and then listen to them right off the bat or if i'm just going to wait until i catch up but we'll see what happens so all right well blessings good luck with that i'll mute you so you can listen mm-hmm. to the rest of the show great thank you So again, the call-in number is 563-999-3581. And I guess it's as good a time as any to remind people that the actual purpose of MindShifters Radio and the support groups is to help each and every one of us go inside ourselves and find our own wisdom and find our own answers. And that knowledge that there is a guidance system within each and every one of us and the knowledge that what is right for me in any given moment may not be the same thing that's, quote, right, close quotes, for someone else in that same moment. And this is one of the, the benefits of, of a process like the Reality Management Worksheet and or the targeted journaling that Michael calls the Mind Shifter Tool and or the book with exercises in it like the Way of Mastery is that Each and every person who picks up these exercises or tools and uses them opens the doorway to their own guidance. And this is one of the ways, you know, the Pierre Pratervand, his most recent book is titled The Gentle Art of Spiritual Discernment. And he felt that there was such a need for a book like that because so many people get hooked into following a religion or a set of rituals or a leader and it may not be right for them. It may may work wonderfully for dozens of other people, thousands of other people, and yet it may not be right for everyone. So, tuning into what is your connection to the wisdom about what's best for you in each new present moment 
that's what these tools are about. That's what Michael Rice's tools are about. That's what the way of mastery is about. That's what the writing yourself a letter from unconditional love is about. Two-way prayer, as Gail was just telling us, that comes from the the original AA tradition. And it's it's somewhat, um, you know, in, in in within the Catholic Church, this would be called blasphemy to say you don't need a priest, you don't need a religion, you don't need confession, you don't need the God outside of you. You don't need to go into a church and tithe your money to them and pray for forgiveness from the priest or the God that the priest signifies or represents, that would be blasphemy in that religious tradition. And yet, it is at the heart of most spiritual, deep spiritual traditions. And it is at the heart of the teachings of the man they call Yeshua, or what we can understand from the writings that have been attributed to the people that ostensibly lived at the same time as he did, or soon after it, and were able to hand down the oral traditions. And pleasantly and coincidentally, those core teachings in their purest sense are the same as the great wisdom schools that have existed for thousands of years before Yeshua. So it's a nice little coincidence. Probably nothing other than coincidence, but it's nice. It's nice that it works out that way. So that the great gurus and saints from other nations and other cultures and other spiritual practices, whether it's the Hindus or the Buddhists or the Muslims, they all have had their saints who have had basically the same practices, the same understandings, the same ability to tap into their own inner guidance and transform their lives for the better. And coincidentally, it's quite the the same deep spiritual teaching as the Western traditions or Yeshua. Not the same as the Catholic or the Episcopal or the Anglican or name your religion of choice, but the same as other great deep spiritual traditions and understandings. And you don't need to go to somebody outside of yourself to get that. You can begin a practice, whether you like to call it meditation or you like to call it two-way prayer or you like to call it the exercises that are given to us in The Course in Miracles. And that that workbook process, that's 365 days of suggested practice, Or the Way of Mastery, which has um, a series of 
exercises or practices sprinkled through it. So in the way of mastery, we're at at the, the doorway of Lesson 7. And Lesson 7 is titled, Birthing the Mind of Christ. Why would I want to birth the mind of Christ? So you can step into doing what we were just talking about. So you can step into a conscious connection to your internal guidance. And the text reads, Forever I am with you. And then with emphasis, Forever I am with you. For long before the stars were birthed, long before the planets arose, long before even a thought of physicality had emerged within the divine mind of the Son of God, we were already created together and equally. Yet, that creation of what alone is real knows no point of birth. Therefore, because the Creator is forever, so too have we abided together and been sustained together in capital L love throughout all time and even unto eternity do we abide together in the reality of who we are. Therefore, think it not extraordinary when I say unto you, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. What journey have you ever taken that is not familiar to me? What journey have I ever taken that is, in truth, not familiar to you? For when you look upon me from some deep place of knowingness within you, though the words may be different, you say within yourself, Behold, Christ appears before me. When you hold a thought of me in the mind, and your body is flooded with emotion, soft and gentle and light, and you recognize that the Holy Son of the Creator was birthed and perfected in your friend, Yeshua ben Joseph, what is it within you that knows that this is the truth? What part of your mind, what capacity within your heart can look upon me and recognize the truth within me that you have love for? For I say well unto you, it is the same as that part of my mind, that part of my heart that looks upon you and says, Behold, the holy child of the Creator is before me, and I love this one. That which knows, that which comprehends immediately, that is the mind of Christ. 
it recognizes itself in each and every one. That mind of Christ dwells within you in its fullness now. Therefore, as I have said unto you many times, never fail to remember that it takes one to know one. If you would look upon me and say, Beloved friend, thank you. Then look well upon yourself and say, Beloved friend, thank you. And allow your breath to flow. How many journeys have there been? How many moments of experience passed under the bridge of your beingness before you began to reawaken to the capital T truth that is true always? Too many. Too many to count, too many to remember, too many to have conscious experience of. How many lifetimes, how many worlds before light began to dawn so imperceptibly at first that it was not recognized? And a tiny voice whispered from a place that seemed so far removed from where you dwelt. And that voice might have said something like, quote, Beloved son, you are with me now. You remain as I have created you to be. You remain exactly as I have created you to be. Therefore, be at peace. You are the energy of creation. You are love. You are loved, lovable and loving forever. The voice seemed so far away, so faint, that surely it could not be your own. Surely it was just a moment's fantasy. In the midst of some journey, you paused, and as a raindrop fell upon a leaf, and your eyes looked upon that experience, you felt and you knew that you were one with that leaf and the raindrop, and that indeed you were those things. How many moments of experience have passed before these kinds of qualities began to emerge in your consciousness as what seemed at first to be these tiny, mad ideas? Thoughts such as, quote, My God, I just felt myself to be one with all of creation. Well, I better not tell anyone about that, close quotes. And so off you went. But the moments began to come more often, still perhaps fleetingly, and yet now more familiar, a sense underneath all of the drama, underneath all of the crying, all of the lamenting, all of the resenting and the fearing and the striving and the seeking, the tiny still tiny, quiet voice would come and say, quote, Beloved son, you remain as I have created you to be. You are loved, loving and lovable forever. You are wholly, totally loved, loving and lovable forever. 
the tiny voice would steal through the roar and the din that had seemed to make a home within your mind. Rest assured, you would not be where you appear to be in this moment if it had not already begun to experience, if you had not already begun to experience many moments that express that very quality that I've just described to you, the quality of truly hearing that still small voice of the comforter, capital C, comforter, within you. Therefore, indeed, each of you knows that there is a longing within you that cannot and will not be denied any longer. You know from the Christ mind within you that the Christ mind has stirred within you and is rising to take up its rightful place as the master of your mind, your heart, your body, your breath, your dreams, and your passions. Each of you knows that it is absolutely futile to attempt to settle for anything less. It does not come because of anything I have ever done for you. It comes because it must come. It must arise within each created mind, regardless of its journeys, regardless of its attempts to deny what is eternally true. That denial of what is eternally true is called the illusion of the dream of separation. This process must come. The Christ mind must come. And it is, in, it is inevitable because the Christ mind will not be denied. The Christ mind cannot be denied because only the Christ mind can express what is absolutely true. Only Christ, as a Christ mind energy, as an awareness, as a, as a state of consciousness, can so inform the cellular structure of the body that even the simplest of gestures extends love unto another who beholds it. Only the Christ mind knows how to breathe the breath that releases all trauma and all hurt. Only the Christ mind understands the power of true forgiveness, which is always, by the way, forgiveness of oneself, dismantling of one's false perceptions, dismantling and releasing all judgment. Since the truth of life is that no one has wronged you at any time. So that any perception that you create about being wronged is false. Any judgment you have that life as it has unfolded was bad or wrong or shouldn't be happening is a creation of your own mind and it is born of the dream of separation. The text goes on and reads, only Christ mind can bring a smile to the lips of a body such that when another looks upon you and sees that smile, their heart is filled. 
Only the Christ mind can walk in this world, yet not be of the world. And only the Christ mind can transcend every limited and fearful creation, transforming them into a beautiful flower that blossoms and gives its sweet fragrance to all of creation. Is it not that which you long to feel moving through your being? Is not that call to awaken alive within you? Oh, beloved friends, you know that it is. Love you, therefore, one another. Extend love in every interaction. And love you, therefore, the capital S, self, that has been given unto you of your Creator. Learn to hear only that voice. Learn to desire only that voice. Learn to follow only that voice that knows the capital T truth is true always. Here it is restated again. Quote, I and my heavenly Father and Creator are one. This world is but a passing shimmer in a dream. It holds no value save that which the Christ mind can bring to it. Only love is real. Anything else is the choice to momentarily believe in illusion. Rest assured, illusion within an illusory world can seem to hold great power. And yet, all power has been given unto you. All power under heaven and earth is given unto the holy child of the Creator. And that power dwells within you as the life of your life, as the breath of your breath, and the truth of your truth, the being of your being, and the joy of your joy. There has never been an illusory creation that has ever, in truth, threatened it. Nor can any illusion take reality from you. The only thing that can occur is that you use that power to believe in loss. All forms of loss that you perceive through the physical eyes or through the worldly mind are nothing more than passing shades of your insistence on believing that loss is possible. All forms of the contraction known as fear are nothing more than temporary modifications of the very power given unto you, a power that you have sought to use to see if it were possible to convince yourself that something besides love is real. Think about that. You're using the power of creation. There is only the power of creation. There is only love. There is only the one mind. There is only consciousness. It's been said in all these different ways. The same energy that's being used to keep your heart beating 
and your food digesting and to create you in the first place and to give you the experience of awareness and consciousness, that same energy is what you use to create the dream of separation. It's what you use to create the experience of fear. It is what you use to create the experience of loss in an actuality where there is no loss because there is only love. This, this is a mind bender. This observation, this come to Jesus moment, if you will, is, I, I probably had to read this 40 or 50 times before it started to sink in. The very energy that was used to create everything in existence, including you and your consciousness, is the energy you're using to create the feeling, the belief, the understanding, the evidence, the drama and trauma in your life, the fear, the sense of loss, pain and suffering. You're using the infinite energy of creation and you're using it in such a way that you create an experience of being separate from your creator, even though such separation could never be and will never be. The very energy that all the great saints use to perform miracles is the energy you're using to, to make yourself believe that you can't perform miracles. It's the same energy that you're using to create the belief that you're small and limited and unlovable and damaged and broken, etc. It's the energy you use to create every negative emotion you ever experience. For me, that was mind-boggling. When that first started to settle in, the power, Michael Rice calls it from the Kaboris Manuscripts, mind energy, the power of creation and the dominion over the little hose of that spray of creative energy that you're given dominion over, that's the same power and energy that creates universe upon universe upon universe, world upon world, experience upon experience. And yet, you're using that energy to create the belief that something besides love is real. And you're using the energy of love to do it. The text goes on and reads, But the story is over. The dream of separation is ending. The whole of creation is now experiencing a growing power, a movement, and a momentum that must carry the mind from which creation springs to a new level. It's not so much an evolutionary level as a level of recognition, a level of remembrance, a level of returning. That wave of momentum is alive and has already arisen within your heart and mind. You know it. Stop denying it. Stop questioning it. Stop looking for signs from the world around you that it is all right to feel it. 
simply accept it as a divine gift from your creator for the call has gone out and though many listen very few hear and still fewer become wholly devoted to responding therefore let your prayer be this always quote May the Christ mind alone dwell within and as this creation that I once thought was myself. Close quotes. May Christ alone inform each thought, each breath, and each choice. May love direct each step capital L love may capital L love transform this journey through time that in time I might truly know the reality of eternity the sanctity of peace the holiness the holiness of intimacy and the joy of the creator's love and that I might know all of that prior to every breath and indeed prior to every thought that arises within the mind. For when you know that you are holiness itself, how could you ever look upon your brother or sister and believe that they have wronged you? How could you ever want to do anything but extend love to them? That is the capital L love of Christ and let it flow through you so deeply and so profoundly that they understand that you don't believe their illusion. This is where Michael Ray says in the worksheet process, when I choose love, it stirs the love in everyone involved. When I add my creative mind energy to the awareness of my true nature as love and the true nature as love of every being of brilliance and light that I encounter, even if they've temporarily forgotten or yet to discover their brilliance, when I add my energy to that truth, that energy vibrates stronger, more loudly, you might say, more clearly, more profoundly, more deeply in each moment, and it stirs the energy in those around me. And it gives them a chance to recognize that I do not believe in their illusion as being bad or small or unlovable or unworthy. I see their true nature. I actively engage in the process that the ancient Aramaics understood as humility, the ability to look for and see the highest and best in another. And then, regardless of what's coming out of them, regardless of what they see of themselves, I choose to cooperate only with their highest and best. I choose to cooperate only with their true nature, the Christ mind that dwells within them, even if they have yet to discover it or have temporarily forgotten it. The text goes on to read, when you give unto another that which alone is true, because all minds are joined, you have offered unto them the only gift that holds value. 
When you give to another the truth, perhaps without even saying a word, because all minds are joined, they recognize what has been offered, and they say to themselves, quote, the one before me knows the truth of me and is looking right through every one of my attempts to be less than who I am. Therefore, I begin to see that it is safe to choose again, close quotes. That is when miracles occur. The text goes on and reads, Do not strive to heal this world. Do not strive to heal this world. Do not do anything to make a show of how much you love another. Give up the concept of being a busy bee. Simply be the presence of love. Be aware of your true nature as the presence of love because you know that there is absolutely no value in holding an awareness of being anything else because everything else is false. It's a fantasy. And in that truth, you've never succeeded at being anything but the presence of love. So wake up to that and do not strive to heal the world. Do not strive to make a show of how loving you are or how much you love someone else. Quit trying to do things to demonstrate that you're tapped in, tuned in, turned on. Just slow down Shift the focus of your awareness to your true nature and be aware of that. Be extending that presence of love because you understand there's no value in focusing on anything else. Area code 610, is it Susan? Hi, Dr. Tim. Um, I've become a bass baritone at the moment. I'm lying here and I've got this bug and I'm tired and I feel sick and I'm listening to all this and I'm thinking, I love all this, but I have no vitality. I, I don't even know if I should ask you this question. How do you, how do, you do it when you can't do anything? <laughs> all I can do is listen. Nothing else, and why there's that, no energy. And, and why isn't that enough is the question. Right. Here's the here's the allowance. Here's the here, go back into lesson five. Okay. Review lesson five today. What what are the keys to the kingdom? Desire, intention, allowance, right. surrender, and then humility. What does that mean? I it means surrender. <laughs> I accept. I allow. I accept. I surrender. I wake up and realize if I'm laying in bed right now and I have all of these uncomfortable symptoms that we call illness, if I have a a voice that barely speaks, I've got no energy to do housework or anything else, 
that must be perfectly okay for right now. I accept the truth of love and life unfolding as it's unfolding. I wake up and recognize that this very life that I'm living is the perfect school for me to be in. Mm. And I just just do what Michael Rice would suggest, do more of the right things. With whatever little energy I can muster, I drink clean water, I eat nutritious foods, I do my prayer, I meditate, I sleep, I rest, I I listen to the body, and I, you know, if when I'm in those kinds of things, I'm having a good day at my worst and down, I'm practicing things like the gentle art of blessing for others, because I realize I have to find some loving space within me before I can send it to somebody else, so I'm going to get the benefit of that, mm-hmm. and I spend much of my waking time watching for the signs and symptoms within me that I want to complain, that I say this is bad or wrong, and I just release it and I let it go. And I shift over to something that's more loving for myself and others, and I start extending that loving energy. And often when I do that, then I drift back into sleep. And I say, okay, that's fine too. Mm. Yeah, I think with Michael, he often talks about how you reach, if you reach a certain level of vitality, then you can do the next layer of work. But what if you lose vitality? You can't do anything. Well, you're losing vitality, and you, you're, you're, you know, in this case, the, if you're going to follow Michael Rice's format for this, you have to recognize that they call this healing because you've been doing a lot of the right things, and so now here's this unproductive energy that's moving out of your system, and it feels as uncomfortable moving out as it did going in. So you want to use what Michael would call the cosmic grease. What is that? Willingness. You want to let your body tell you, lay down, slow down, relax, do a little simple prayer and meditation, feed the body, hydrate the body, be gentle with the body, allow these energies to move out of you, rest, be, right? This, the, we just finished reading in The Way of Mastery. It says, quit quit trying to keep doing and being a busy bee. That's true. So the thing, for, the thing for you to do right now is have the intention to stay in alignment with what wants to express uniquely through you right now. Well, what energy is trying to express through you right now? Rest. The need for healing, the need for gentleness, surrender, allowance and surrender. And then recognize with humility that, hey, I don't know what this is about. I can ask to be shown, and I may not get any conscious recognition for a good long while, and that's going to be okay too. So that's what I would say. Be gentle with yourself. Please understand 
there's this big trap that says, you know, if I was doing everything right, then I'd be full of vibrance and health and I wouldn't have any aches or pains and I would be able to keep functioning at 130 years of age like I did when I was 20. And that's a trap that sets people up to judge themselves as bad or wrong if they're not able to function at a certain level. Let that go. Go back to lesson three where it says release every judgment. Do the process of forgiveness, which is to dismantle every judgment and every perception and move into allowance and surrender. And, And as you do that, just know that you're being held in a blessing by people like me and everybody else who hears this show. Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, the next question, it's too late. Maybe I'll ask it to Michael. <laughs> All right. I'll mute you so you can listen to the second hour. Thank you so much for the okay. call and feel better. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate it. Good conversation. Susan, yes, we're holding you in the love. So, welcome everybody to the second hour of MindShifters Radio. Today is Thursday, January the 18th, 2024, and our call-in number is 563-999-3581, and press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. We'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. So... um, I'm turning on a second microphone here. All right. So today is day four of our study of the Enlightenment, which is what's been uh, published so far out of the Kabor's manuscript. And um, our listening audience has increased. I hope that you're enjoying listening to this. And we'll give Michael, oh, I just started to say give him a minute to dial in, but he's in. Welcome, Michael. I be here. Hey, sweetie. Thank you. And welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're with us and that we get to advance our conversation to the next level uh, regarding the ancient Aramaic language and how that language conveys things that are literally extremely difficult to express in the English language. I mean, they're individual words in the Aramaic that literally take a a whole paragraph to attempt to approximate the English. So we're here to do that and you know we've kind of laid the foundation so I'm actually going to step into the manuscript but before I do we're going to talk about you know an introduction to it and how it was found and such uh, but before I do Miss Jeannie do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room well, there's no hand up right at the minute, but I did get an email from someone who has been listening to the show, and she said she actually couldn't call in today because she's sailing to the Bahamas. She has a boat, and so she's sailing. Nice. And she said she. I'll do worksheets on Envy. Yeah, really. I told her that um, 
I would read her question, though. She's been listening to the show on the Comboris and, and says, um, you were talking about perception yesterday. And she thought maybe give an example of how perception is of the mind and not reality, um, as our perceptions are coming out of the mind, not out of the heart base, question mark. I'm not sure how that was expressed, but I found myself thinking an example of the difference of those two might make it a little clearer. And I'm wondering if um, she's just being mean, telling us that uh, she knows we're in eight inches of snow, <clears throat> 20 degree weather, and she's going sailing in Bahamas. Like, come on. Anyway, I hope you have a wonderful sail, wonderful time there. And an example of reality versus actuality, recognizing that perception is a construct of the mind. In the Aramaic Yeshua, the Greeks translated the word he used to describe that as appearances. He said, don't judge by appearances. In other words, be careful when you accept what the constructs of your mind say about the actuality because the constructs of your mind are just the constructs of your mind. And you cannot, through the mind, experience actuality directly. There are another set of faculties for that. What we're looking to do with this work is to grow into that other set of faculties with which to experience the actuality and start to function in and out of the actuality of what's going on in the created world. But reality are the constructs of the mind. And realities, just at, at depth, go to the, in, in terms of resonance, when something happens in the actuality, what resonates in the mind just can include so much that has nothing to do with the truth of what's going on in a given situation. And that the mind generates out of its content, out of our genes, out of carbon-based memory, out of generations and generations and generations of patterned ways of thinking or, pardon me, pattern ways of appearing to think that have nothing to do with the truth of what happened in the actuality. And so there's kind of a, a stock um, example that I use so that we can fit it in anywhere, and as people build brain cells, it, it tends to build on the mind's ability to get closer and closer to the truth of the actuality rather than the perceptions that reflect content within us, constructs that come from our own minds. So let's imagine that we're in a courtroom and six different people are testifying about an accident. If you've ever been in a courtroom, then you very quickly recognize that everybody has their own reality. Everybody has a mental construct about what's being testified to in the courtroom. The person who, say, has a prejudice against women, one of the drivers of the car was a woman, one of them was a man, and the person who has a prejudice against women swears that what he saw was the woman run the red light. In fact, it was the man who ran the red light. But that bias in the mind literally 
causes the mind, based on its preconceptions, to structure an image, not based on the energies coming from the actuality, but based on what those energies coming from the actuality resonated in them. And literally, and this goes on, it's most of the world's perception. So this person who's got this prejudice against women drivers literally sees. I'm not saying he makes this up. His mind, based on the bias that his mind has, presents him a picture, an actual literal picture that he sees. Now, he thinks he sees it happening out there in the world. The fact is what he sees is what's painted on the inside of his eyeballs based on what the events in the world, the accident, resonated in him. So he sees a picture that he thinks is the actuality. He substitutes this picture for the actuality, and he sees the woman run the red light. Now, the person who has no such prejudice sees what sees accurately what happened in the world. And this is the best we can hope for, my offering is, from perception, from the mind of man, is that we receive information that is accurate about what actually occurred, what the actuality held. We can never, ever, ever get from mental constructs, which are reflections of content painted or projected onto the inside of our own eyeballs, we can never get an experience of actuality from that. The mind of man can't do it. You know, you're sitting in the courtroom and three of the people testify that, you know, the guy who ran the red light was also speeding. They observed him speeding, which he was. So they're getting accurate information. Now, their mental construct about the event is not the event. It's just their mental construct. You know, two of the people... Well, the other two who observed, or two of the others, are sure that nobody made any mistakes. It was just an accident. And so we, we have different realities, and, and we want to make the point that reality, appearance, is simply the output of the mind. And when we're looking at the output of the mind, we're looking at an image that is quite literally painted on the inside of our eyeballs. We see what our mind generates. And so any other you know, event that you could think of, we've got two people who are having a fight, they go into the courtroom, you know, and one of them really does see, I mean, literally sees a picture where their partner is the one who has the problem. Their partner is the one who did the nasty deed. And each person, and neither of them is lying, each person offers the evidence that their mind sees about how it was the other person's fault. 
Now, most people live in that world. By the age of four, most people in this culture in particular, because we're not a very honest culture, we don't, we're not in love with actuality. Most people by the age of four, because we live in such a, a falsified and blame-oriented culture, most people are literally card-carrying members of the one world religion of blame by the age of four. Everything that happens in their lives, and I don't care, you know, we can look out in the political scene today and we'll see people who, everything that happens, they will proclaim themselves ultra-powerful, and yet everything that happens in their lives, you never hear them say a word about how they're responsible for it, how they're even involved in it. It's all everybody else's fault. And that's the evidential mind. Remember, there's that Harvard research that says that in a time frame, where 10,000 brain cells are firing, literally, there are 10,000 measurable units of electrical activity, the max amount of data that goes into conscious awareness is nine bits of data. So literally 10,000 brain cells are firing, and that mind uses the nine bits of data that correlate with the beliefs in that mind, i.e. the person in the courtroom who testified it was a woman who ran the red light. At every moment, we are seeing evidence. When you're looking at ten, nine bits of information with 10,000 brain cells firing, you're never looking at facts. You're always looking at evidence. And everybody gets to see evidence of their own BS. The way that you can tell that you're moving out of that evidential game, and part of the process means you have to face, ultimately, generations and generations and generations of pain and trauma to move out the other side. And so as you do your work, as you clean up perception, freeing yourself of the fantasies of the mind, freeing yourself of the evidence that everybody else is the problem in your life, and playing out the power person dynamics, as you do that, the structure to process through the disintegrative aspects of the energy dynamics beneath your perception. Now, when you realize that the mind functions through every cell in the body and that the mind and body cannot in any way, shape, or form be separated. Now, if you listen to Einstein, he says, if you think you're separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. Now, show me the person who, by the time they were five, knew that you're over here and I'm over there is what my mind shows me, but the fact is energetically we are one. If I could raise the rate of vibration in which my eye receives information and my brain processes things, I would see that we are part of one energy system. We cannot be separated. So anyone who believes that we are separated is functioning out of a separated mind and functioning out of an evidential system that doesn't allow any data about the truth to be shown. What we're looking to do here is to 
bring the Aramaic idea of honoring truth and having the mindset that allows the mind to be fueled by active present love, fueled by the truth of who you are, rather than fueled by old generational patterns of hostility and fear. And the way you can tell that you arrived at that place is that in any given situation, let's say there's a situation, and this is especially testable, should I say, in circumstances where things are happening that you don't like. So can you stand in the face of something that you strongly dislike happening? Like, it's not in your plan, it's not in your consciousness to ever move in the direction of this event. And you can stand in that space while holding to physiologically, mentally, and emotionally conscious, active, present love. Can you do that? If you are, then you've reached the pinnacle of mental capability because all of the data that your mind is showing you, rather than be corrupt, being corrupted and from the past, therefore serving up all forms of hostility and fear, you're in that situation where this is not what I could even conceive of happening, would never have happened. And yet, instead of upset, I'm centered, I'm settled, I hold to active present love, and I can receive this energy that's coming from the actuality as the presence of love. When I do that, then I've reached that point where my mind has reached the pinnacle. And that would be the point where in the ancient scriptures, the Aramaic, they speak about a person who is the highest in this realm, in the realm of perception, is the lowest moving up to the next level where you're not living in perception anymore, you're living in, in actuality. What was called the community of love. In Aramaic or in Greek, they translate it as the kingdom of heaven. There's nothing about the kingdom of heaven there. It speaks of the community of love. So the person who's, who's living out of perception, out of constructs of the mind, is the highest when they can perceive especially situations that they don't like, that they are vehemently opposed to, but are able to experience that out of active present love, can observe, let's say, something that the world would call terrible happening, some kind of horrific incident, but they can stand and embrace that in love as love. That person's the lowest in the next level, in, in the space where you're actually perceiving directly, where you're actually, pardon me, let me change that word, not perceiving, but experiencing directly the actuality. And that actuality doesn't fit into the reality structures that, paint, that get painted on the inside of our eyeballs by perception. You know, if you've ever had what you would call a spiritual experience, you'll remember it was so exciting, it was just so empowering, it was so, I mean, everything in my experience was just lit up to the max. And then I met with my brother an hour later, and I shared with him that state of being lit up to the max. And as I started to share it, I went uh, and, and when 
uh, it was about um, uh, well, it was now um, it was an hour ago, and the truth is, I can't say a word about it. There's nothing that I can compare it with. This does not fit into the reality structure of the world. You remember Yeshua at one point is talking to his disciples. And he says, there are so many things I would tell you, but you can't hear them. You just don't have the brain cells. If you don't have the experience, it can't be talked about. That's the, the state of being, you know, starting on the path of living directly out of the actuality, which I would offer we're designed to do. You know, your, your mind is designed to be your footstool, designed to be a servant. Remember, Yeshua defined Satan when he's talking to Peter. He says, get thee behind me, Satan, for you think in the mind of men. You're living in perception, Peter. And therefore, I define you as Satan. And you're not in the next realm, in the actuality, in what we would call the plan of God in that particular passage. You've lost contact with the truth. And now you're stuck in this land called perception, constructs of the mind of man. So what we're looking to do is to take the main tool that Yeshua provided, forgiveness, in order to weaken and free us from the energy patterns of mental constructs and being freed of it, it no longer sucks us in. You know, if there's some form of hostility or fear that's resonated by event, and, you know, let's see if anybody's ever experienced this one. Let's say there was an event that happened to you and your perception went berserk and you went nuts and you did things that you are totally, completely embarrassed about. And, and when you come out the other side of that, you're sure and you commit and you say to yourself, I will, and you say to others, I will never do that again. And you mean it. You, you really mean it. And you won't until the next time a circumstance resonates those brain cells. And then notice failure. You go back and you do it and you're like, oh my God, I did it. How, how could I have done that? I swore I would never. Until you go in and do the work of forgiving, removing the content that drives that kind of behavior and perception, whenever it's resonated, it's going to come back. You know, a good example, we all heard the alcoholic who truly is abhorred is is just traumatized by what he finds out he did last night. Let's say to his spouse or his child or whatever. And truly, totally repentant. Oh, that's so horrible. I am so, so sad I did that. And I apologize and I will never do it again. And they mean that. You know, I've been in that position. I mean it when I'm there. But if I don't go in and do the work to free myself of those constructs and those un the underlying energetic patterns of those behaviors, then the next time they're resonated into activity by the events in the world, and the next time my stress is up, then I'm going to do it again and again and again and again until I do the work of going in, weakening the emanations from brain cells that are filtered through what we call the automatic decision system and kick us into automatic and where there's no control over the behavior. And all that's related to stress. All of that's related to what we've talked about in the last three days. And if there is 
any form of hostility or fear attached to those constructs of the mind. And, and those, that form can be, you know, I've given up, um, I'm no good, I'm wasted. I was actually just listening to a song, powerful, powerful tune of a man, and, and I listened to his testimony in Congress because he was called on to, to speak about drug abuse in Congress because of his fame and his music. It's a man named Jelly Roll. I was never familiar with him until I was doing some research in the alcohol realm. And here's a guy who's, I don't know, probably weighs 300 pounds, and his face is all covered with tattoos. And he has this powerful piece of music that says, save me. I'm worthless. Don't waste your time on me. All of the the mental components of a self that is totally, completely false, but when activated, get painted on the inside of the eyeballs, and a person believes that about themselves. That self has to be removed. That self has to be faced and ended. Yeshua in Aramaic said it this way, and this makes no sense in the realm of perception unless you have these brain cells. He says, in order for you to live, you've got to die. So, you know, in this song where Jelly Roll, I mean, just he's right at the bottom of the barrel. I need help. I need something. But I know that I'm worthless and it's over. And I mean, it's just that's the self that Yeshua aimed his teachings at. That's what we're aiming at. And every one of us have that self. Whether you're doing actively doing addiction or not doesn't matter. I mean, most everybody's doing addiction. The most common drug being busyness. Oh, I'm too busy to, to heal my mind. I'm too busy. I'm too important to do anything about what's going on in my mind, that part of me. What, me do worksheets? No, come on. Actually, I got a, a uh, and, and Terry, if you happen to be with us, thank you for introducing uh, so many people to this work over the years. And Dan sent me a note this morning. We've heard from Dan on the show before. And Terry, someone that uh, had introduced Dan. And uh, I got a, a message from Dan this morning saying that he just completed his 2000th worksheet. He's been doing worksheets now for about, I think, five months. He had been introduced 20 years ago to the work. It wasn't for him. He did a few worksheets back then, but over the time, over years, he finally developed the ICC in the years here and jumped on board and, and said, I'm going to do this work, and he's doing it. So if you happen to be on, congratulations, Dan. It's awesome to see the work that you're doing and what you're facing and the thought disorders that you're cleaning up and changing. So accolades and congratulations. And, and to Jelly Roll, if you haven't heard that piece of music, go listen to it. He really conveys the hopelessness and the helplessness of someone who is constructing their mind's image of themselves, their perception out of generational patterns of self-hate, thought disorders of fear, of trauma, of worthlessness. And that's the work that each and every one of us has to do. You know, 2,000 years ago, Yeshua didn't say, oh, there are five of you that need to do the work of, uh, of cleaning up this self, of getting rid of this self. He applied it to the whole culture, 
And then, of course, there's one particular occasion where he's talking to a group of disciples, people who've committed to the work, tells them what they need to do, and literally half of the disciples that were there at that moment said, too hard a saying, and left, and never came back. I hear that song of Jelly Roll, and I hear a man who knows there is hope, and that he realizes he's got work to do, and he's calling. It's called Save Me. He's calling for support and assistance to move through these traumatic layers of generational patterns that the whole teaching of Yeshua is about is going within. It's not about creating a belief system. It's not about creating a theology. It's about restoring yourself to the active presence of love. And Yeshua is very clear in his Aramaic language what he's here to do. And he never says anything about, I'm bringing you dogma, I'm bringing you doctrine, I'm bringing you churchianity. He says, I come to bring you life. And life, I would offer, is love flowing through a cell. And anything that you do that inhibits life is, in the Aramaic context, as we talked about the other day, sin. It's an energy that's off the mark. It doesn't belong in your structure. And what do you need to do? You do not need to be forgiven for your sins. That's perception telling you that. Oh, you're the sinner, therefore you have to be forgiven. You will never be forgiven for anything. I promise you. And never forgive anybody for anything because what the, what the Greek translations, the, mis, the, the horrific mistranslation of the Aramaic idea of forgiveness tells us that, of course, and, and just you know, look at the logic behind it. If I'm a member of the one world religion of blame, and the only evidence my mind, the only constructs, perceptions my mind gets to show me are how everybody else is the problem in my life, then it makes sense that someone would come along and say, well, then you just need to forgive them. You just need, them, you just need to let them off the hook for the pained perception of yourself or a pained perception of this moment that your mind is showing you. You just let them off the hook for it. Well, if I let them off the hook because I hold energetic patterns that produce pain in me, have I done anything at all to change that pain by letting you off the hook? I mean, it's just silly, but it's taken over. I mean, remember they said in the scripture, there'll come a time when the whole world will be fooled? Well, the whole world, I mean, literally, until this Aramaic work came along out of the Kaburis manuscript, and I would offer that, you know, I haven't seen anybody else who's working with the Aramaic that can tell us what forgiveness is. It's still being talked about as something you do to somebody else. And when we go back into the truth of the Aramaic language, the word forgive means a tool with which I go by, let me back up a bit with which I collapse the errant constructs of my mind, move those things with which I'm mesmerized, pardon me, mesmerized by, i.e., the fact that you're to blame in my life, I move those things out of the way, and I get to drop into the deeper hidden part of my own desert, my own unconscious. 
Most people are about 40 years of age before they start to think about, hmm, I've been through this 87 different times with 42 different people. I'm the only one that was every time. Maybe this is about me. Maybe I need to go inside myself and do something. The whole world has been outer directed. And, you know, you think about it, and, and I've, I've done this too, and we're correcting that with our granddaughter, Aria, but, you know, like most everybody, at least that I'm aware of, when my kids were small, I helped them to become outer-directed with their attention. Oh, look at this. Oh, me. Oh, oh, shiny, toy, learn, English, write, pictures, identify. We're teaching about the outer world, the external world. Keep people focused out, 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 out there. And so now we've got forgiveness based on you, somebody out there is the problem and you need to let them off the hook. In order to, and, and, and put that in context, in order to change the underlying energetic dynamics in yourself, you let somebody else off the hook. It's just ridiculous on its face. But that word's been turned around. Now we're saying, and now that we have the direct Aramaic language, we can build the brain cells to recognize that forgiveness is clearly not an outer-directed act. What the Greeks call forgiveness is pardoning. And it's very appropriate. I mean, that's, it can be a good tool. You did something terrible that brought up all this pain inside of me. At least my construct tells me it's terrible. But it's okay, I'll let you off the hook for it. And maybe you did do something that was illegal, immoral, whatever it is. And so uh, it's appropriate for me to let you off the hook. And now that I've let you off the hook, if I call that forgiveness, I'm going to be focused still out there the way I was trained from the very beginning of my life. And most of the world and most of education is done. There's school systems now. Do some research on it. There's school systems that are teaching children who are labeled as behavior disordered, they're teaching them to meditate. They're teaching them to go inside and guess what? The behavior problems are disappearing in those classrooms. It's not about now we're going to punish this kid into never doing this again. They're teaching the child to go inside. And when you go inside, which is what forgiveness does, it collapses the constructs, the perceptions, the appearances in your mind, and it gives you the opportunity to step to move inside of yourself. Our granddaughter's five, and when we say it's time to meditate, she'll sit down and guide the meditation. She'll sit down and tell us to breathe. She'll, she'll, guide, she'll walk us through the whole thing, going inside and breathing and, and looking within. Listen to that quote from Carl Jung. Those who look without dream. If the perceptions that are painted on the inside of your eyeballs are what you see and what you believe are out there, you are living in a dream, according to Carl Jung, probably one of the greatest psychiatrists that ever lived. And then he follows it up and says, and those who look within awaken. My offering is there is no more powerful way of going within then by recognizing that your perceptions are driven by your goals and when you 
cancel your goals. In Aramaic, the word forgive is shebeg. This is a piece of information that took me 35 years to transition from the constructs I had received from the world about forgiveness being, perception being of what was out there, and forgiveness is about them. It literally took me working with this work for 35 years, that amount of time, to comprehend that, ah, the word forgive is shebag in Aramaic. It's been translated as forgive, but it actually means to cancel, to let loose, or to untie. And I've had hundreds of people have said this to me. Well, Michael, I have this perfectly good goal. I mean, gee, all I want is for that person to honor and cherish me. What's wrong with that? Why would I cancel that? Well, I would say that is really, truly an awesome goal, and I think it's a good one for every one of us to have for ourselves and for each other. It's, it's beautiful, powerful. Well, then why are you telling me to cancel that goal? You just said, if that's my goal for that person that I'm upset with, well, there's your first mistake. You're not upset with anybody. You've never been upset with anybody. There's just upset in you, and you can put it into the pictures painted on the inside of your walls of anybody that shows up. That upset will do. You know, you can... You paint pictures out of that till the cows come home. That's called projection. The reason you cancel a goal is not because there's something wrong with the goal or you're not. I've had other people say, oh, you mean I'm not supposed to have goals? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> goals drive life. It's, it's, it's an urgent part of life. But here's why you'd cancel a perfectly good goal. Because you notice that when it, you load it into your own mind, it resonates some form of corrupt data based in hostility or fear and destroys your mind's ability to show you anything even relative to the actuality. So if your mind is using, in response to a goal, some form of hostility or fear, it's using corrupt data, you want to cancel the goal that drives that process, and when you do, that picture painted on the inside of your eyeballs falls apart. It literally disappears. And, you know, I've done this process with people for going close to, on now to 50 years. And it always amazes me when people cancel a goal, if they're willing to listen to quietly and they're able to go inside themselves, what comes up for them, what shows up for them. And it's usually a memory that comes from early, early childhood, sometimes a genetic memory. And when people develop a skill to start to interact at that level inside of themselves, then they've got the skill and the tools for cleaning up the projected world of hostility or fear and removing those energetic patterns, literally developing a skill to remove those energetic patterns from their genes, from their cells, freeing themselves from those energetic patterns and perceptions based in those patterns, creating now a space, their own energy field or what's called a body-mind unit, where love now has a welcoming place in the earth where the true being that they are, created essence of love, is able to show up. And when it shows up, now I get to become a person who can literally pour the active presence of love into our world. 
it seems that, and this is just my thesis about it, it seems that in the human world, although, you know, we're told in the scriptures, in love, in the active presence of love, we live, move, and have our being. But we've degraded so far from the awareness of that, that in the human world it takes a human being to open the space and to pour, to bring that love, to to be in resonance with and be able to bring that love into the world. And that when that happens, then you are able to facilitate healing. Then you are able to move through the healing process, your own healing process, and you're able to hold the space for and facilitate that healing process with and for others. And remember that part of the the upshot of that, when you do that, especially when you go to new levels, you know, like you really communicate with and hold a space for a grandson that has been through much trauma and that you've wept tears over and had trauma over, that when you open the space for a new level of connection there, then what has to happen is your body needs to open up, go of all of the energetic patterns from the generations that were based in hostility or fear. We call that in naturopathic medicine, the system of medicine I'm trained in, a healing crisis. You remember in step two of the worksheet, you said, I'm willing to go through the physical, mental, emotional symptoms of healing. What are the physical, mental, emotional symptoms of healing? On a physical level, it looks like the crud. On a physical level, it looks like your body opening up and processing out the energetic patterns that have solidified into what we call this world of matter, and your body starts to throw those energetic patterns off. You know, we live in a world where doctors have researched for decades and decades the cure for the common cold. We are going to cure the common cold, but guess what? The common cold is not a disease. The common cold is a healing process. The common cold is a structure, an energy structure, vital enough, strong enough, and willing enough to process out the toxic energies that never belong. What does that look like? It looks like maybe hours, days, in some cases maybe weeks, of snotting everywhere, through every orifice. The pores of the skin will move that stuff out. That's what it looks like on a physical level. It's any kind of physical symptom you've ever had. And when it happens, go lay down because the accompaniment of that is it takes a lot of energy to process that stuff out. And this is a step in the direction of living as you're designed to live eternal life physically. You've got to clean out the toxicity. So lay down, rest, take care of yourself, breathe, keep doing the right things, clean, clear water, cayenne pepper, lemon, you know, nourish yourself, nurture yourself, take the time to breathe and be with what's moving. That's the physical. On a mental level, looks like any kind of negative thought you've ever had and confusion. When these energetic patterns empowered to detox by the presence of active love, meet what needs to be detoxed. The two of them add together energetically, and it creates massive confusion. It's like, gee, I knew this stuff yesterday, and now I don't have a clue what's going on. What's wrong with me? Nothing. They're never going to cure the common cold. It's not a disease. You're in a healing process. Breathe. 
Take care of yourself. Be gentle with yourself. And probably one of the biggest pieces missing in our goal-oriented culture that says you don't have any value unless you're working and accomplishing something, fulfilling goals, probably the biggest piece that's missing is for people in the healing process to say, I'm ready to lay down and just breathe and take care of myself. And I may do that for a day or two or three or ten. If I resist that, and then I take drugs to try and stuff it all back in again, I've just frustrated the healing process. So on an emotional level, that healing process is going to look like any kind of negative feeling you've ever had in depression. Yes, there are going to be feelings, experiences of depression. As If your life has been about depression in the past, then the healing of depression is going to look like depression moving out. That's where you understand the principle, oh, I just hit a new level of vitality. It's okay for me to process this. I'm willing to just be with this. And, and willingness is the cosmic grease. I'm willing to embrace this. And on a mental level, it's going to look like processing through all kinds of old negative thoughts. And life provides us many opportunities to clean those things up. But that's the healing process. They're not going to cure the common cold. Oh, they may find something. You'll notice if you go to the drugstore, remember drug, a drug is a disease disguised as a cure. You'll find a package that says, oh, we have now a chemical way that we can stuff all that snot back inside your body and make you feel better. If your body's trying to throw it off, why would you try to stuff it back in? It wouldn't be throwing it off if it wasn't there. So stand in willingness, breathe, drink lots of good, clean, clear water, do your work and rest, take care of yourself and let it, let it loose. If you don't do that, if you stuff it back, it means then the next time your structure hits a new level of vitality, they're going to give it a new name. It's not going to be a cold anymore. It's going to be the flu. And if you're not willing to process that and move through it, then it's going to be something like COVID. If you stand in willingness and you keep putting in literally most important level is bringing to your experience, no matter how tragic your physiology feels, bringing to your experience conscious, active, present love, experiencing it out of that connected space. And if you can't, ask for support. Ask for your partner to sit there and hold your hand and breathe with you and hold to active present love. So people who get the flu and go find chemicals with which to stuff it all back in again, oh, it'll take, you know, probably 20 or 30 years, but they're going to be dealing with cancer or some other degenerative condition. You'll notice that the drug industry is not very good at dealing with degenerative conditions. Oh, they can stuff this not back in like, boom. But that's not doing anybody a favor. If you came to me as a naturopath and said, oh, i got all this stuff coming out of my nose and my ears and my eyes and other places, I'd say, good for you. You hit a new level of vitality. Your structure is detoxing. Now stand in willingness. Here, get some cayenne pepper. Get some lemon water. Start moving. You know, put a little honey or, uh, or maple syrup in that cayenne. And... Move away from eating any kind of congesters, like stay away from the starches and the sugars and, you know, the heavy foods, the proteins. You don't need those right now. What you need are eliminators. Fresh apples are one of the best eliminators that there is. Take an apple. You know, instead of stuffing yourself with food, take an apple. Spend an hour eating the apple, chewing slowly, 
consciously, purposely the apple as you focus on active present love and bring that eliminative food in, which will go through the eliminative organs and help the body to clear out what it's been holding on to. That's the healing process. It isn't pretty. It isn't Dr. Feelgood. But watch. And and I I had to learn this from experience. I I got the theory of this in school, but I had to learn it through experience. And what I noticed was when I would come through one of those, if I actually did my work and cleaned it up on the other side of it, I was more vital. I was more conscious. I was more alive. I, when I first started doing this work, I was still drinking coffee, and I used to be in the restaurant business, and, and I'd go through a pot of coffee every morning. And then I stopped doing that. And then I'd take it up because I needed energy, and I drugged myself with caffeine, and when you drug yourself with caffeine, you tend to destroy the adrenal glands. The adrenal glands need to rebuild. So rather than using a stimulant, support yourself in your healing process. Because the adrenals, you know, it's, it's kind of like you've got the guy who uh, broke a leg. And so they gave him a set of crutches. And, you know, it was four months or whatever, and his, crutch, his, his leg healed. But he's like, you know, I kind of like these crutches. I, I like going around like this. You know, I get attention from people. People hold the door for me. They take care of me. I, I like this, so I'm going to keep my crutches two, three years down the road for the person who's been on crutches that long. They've got no muscles left. The muscles that are designed to carry you around atrophy if you use a crutch. Do you think that's different in any other realm? The adrenals are what are designed to give you energy. Just like the muscle says, if you're going to use a crutch to walk, you don't, you don't need me, I'm going to go away. And the muscle atrophies, literally shrinks away and disappears. There's an old saying, if you don't use it, lose it. Pardon me, if you don't use it, you lose it. Same thing happens if you fill your structure with caffeine. Your dean will say, you know, I'm supposed to give you energy, but hey, if you don't want me to work, okay, I'll quit. And the adrenals atrophy. what is natural to the structure and use it to support you in healing and be willing to go through the symptoms of healing. It is not Dr. Feelgood, but on the other side of it, you'll be stronger, you'll be clearer, and you'll be in a new level of health and vitality. And breathe. So I'm with you in the breathing process. And I invite you to close your eyes and just take a deep breath. And as you do, tap into that presence of love that you are. And with each breath, fully fill your lungs. Feel the breath coming in right from down in your pelvis. Feel it opening and absorbing that energy of active present love. And as you close your eyes, go inside. And looking inside, allow yourself your imagination to function and your intuition to function and see 
in your mind's eye the trillions of cells that you have and see that in each of those cells there's a spot of light. You remember that Yeshua said, I am the light of the world? And then he only changed the pronoun. He said, you are the light of the world. Let yourself tap into that light in every cell in your structure. Breathe in the presence of love and light and let that light expand in every cell. As the light expands, as the presence of love enfolds in your cellular structure on deeper and deeper levels, everything that never belonged is thrown off. You're strengthened in your detox. See that light expanding in each cell and see that light growing larger than the cell that contains it. And it, see that light in each cell of your structure expanding and growing beyond the borders of the, each cell and breathe. And as that light expands beyond the borders in each cell, see it touching the light that's coming from the expansion of light in each other cell in your structure until your whole structure is filled with active, present love and that light. That light, that presence of love is the healing force. It needs to move through your cells and it is only inhibited by energetic patterns of hostility or fear. Stand in willingness to soften and loosen those energetic patterns of hostility or fear. Loosen the patterns of corrupt data and generational patterns of corrupt thinking. And just let that light flush it out of your structure. And breathe. Allow yourself to just take a few deep, connected breaths. <sighs> Breathing with you. Let's conspire here. What does conspire mean? Conspire means to breathe together. Let's conspire toward functioning as and out of the active presence of love and willingly processing everything else out of our fields that does not support that love. You are truly the light of the world. And as you see that light from every cell joining with the light in every other cell, see that light now expanding out from your own field. It's been called the aura. Many people can see it. Children can see it. Animals can see it. That's why animals repel from people. Children will be repelled by people whose energy field is darkness rather than light. See that energy field expanding out and just within your own household, see that field expanding to every other person in your household. As you see that light expanding within every other person in your household. Joining in this light. And then see that joining or that light that is yours alone if you're in the house alone. See it now expanding out beyond your home and embracing the whole neighborhood. 
And because we live in a world of resonance, remember that lesson that's presented in the worksheet. When I choose love, it wakes the love in everyone because the world is a resonance. When I choose love, it resonates that presence of love in others. And so see the fact that you've tapped into that light and that love and are expanding it, that literally everybody in your neighborhood is touched by that and it expands and strengthens the light and the presence of love in them. See your whole community lighting up your local community, and as that light expands in each person you touch in your local community by the presence of this penetrating, invisible energy of love, see it expanding on beyond your own community into the whole city or countryside where you are. You are creator. Focus this light. Tap into this light and this presence of love. As it flows through you and detoxes your own physiology, it expands out and touches the light in others and expands out beyond your neighborhood if you're in a city to the whole city. And as the energy expands from the city, it moves out and touches the whole state that you're in. As you breathe, that light strengthens and expands beyond the borders of your city to the whole state. Literally, imagine every person in the state being touched by this presence of love. There is nothing we know of in the physical world that can stop the energy of love from moving through it. There's, you know, uh, a, a piece of an eight-inch piece of lead can stop an X-ray. Gamma rays, well, no. The energy of love cannot be stopped by anything. So expand it. Send it out there. And see as each person in the state that you're in. I mean, think, name your state in your own mind. And imagine that every person in this state is touched by the presence of love because every person is the presence of love. And if you can help people strengthen it, then they'll become cognizant of it. They will know it and begin to live out of that. And so expand it beyond the borders. As every person in your state joins, expand it beyond the borders to all 50 states, uniting these states in the presence of love. And then imagine that light, that energy moving through 375 or so million people expands beyond the borders of this state. It touches everyone in their homes, in their communities, and that energy moves out, moves north up into Canada. The population in Canada touched by that light. The population of Mexico, our neighbors, our precious, precious neighbors being touched by that light. Moving up over the North Pole to the north and down south into Central America, those precious neighbors, so many of them suffering, touch them with your light and move it down further still as that light expands, moves down into South America, Central America, and then expands out into touching the whole world, literally. Seven and a half billion people touched by the fact that you chose to intensify the presence of love in you. Such a contribution to the world. You are the light of the world. And it is possible for you 
to create the best year yet of your eternal life and extend that out to the world. The world's in need of it. And we hold the space and hold you on our hearts as you have the best year yet of your eternal life. And blessings. Bye-bye.